Carbon capture and storage, or CCS, has an important role to play in reaching net zero targets, including supporting the low carbon energy transition. Part of the wide-ranging suite of CCS is direct air carbon capture and storage, where CO2 is captured from ambient air and stored underground. The innovative technology is steadily gaining ground by those looking to reduce their carbon footprint as 2015 years. To speak to us about that and more is Dr. Sarah Boudinis of the International Energy Agency. Hi, Dr. Boudinis. Thanks for joining us. Perhaps we could begin with providing a brief snapshot on what the International Energy Agency does, its mission, and your role there. Sure. Um, the International Energy Agency, or IA, is an, an international organization with more than 30 member countries and provide analysis, data, and policy recommendation to help countries provide secure and sustainable energy for all. Um, the agency was created in 1974 to help coordinate a collective response to oil disruption. And although oil security remains a key aspect of our work, the role of the agency has expanded significantly. Uh, we work on all fuels and all technologies, including, for instance, renewable energy sources, oil, gas, coal, supply and demand, energy efficiency, clean energy technologies, including carbon capture, utilization and storage, or CCUS, and electricity system and markets, and much more. Uh, within the agency, my role as a senior energy analyst, um, in a nutshell, is to assess the um, CCUS technology portfolio from a techno-economic and from a policy perspective in order to analyze this potential role in the decarbonization of the energy system towards international net zero targets. In your perspective, how critical is CCS in decarbonizing the energy sector? The IA has consistently highlighted the importance of CCUS to decarbonize the energy system, and excluding this technology from the portfolio options would make the transition more difficult and also more costly. And um, CCUS can offer a significant strategic value because it can be retrofitted to existing assets. So, for instance, existing power and industrial plants in order to allow them to operate while still meeting international um, climate targets and therefore avoiding a costly retirement of a valuable assets. Um, CCUS can also tackle emissions in hard to abate sectors where there are fewer options for decarbonization or the options which are there are less technically or commercially mature. For instance, in the production of cement, chemicals, steel, um, hydrogen and also synthetic fuel. Um, the CCUS portfolio can also help removing CO2 from the air either indirectly through bioenergy with CCS or directly through and the capture with storage and CO2 removal is um, important to balance emissions that are difficult to uh, abate and unavoidable and also to remove legacy emissions, so emissions that were already released into the atmosphere in the past. We have published a roadmap, a net zero emissions roadmap, which is a roadmap to reach net zero emissions across the global energy system by 2050. And within that roadmap, uh, 1.6 gigaton of CO2 per year is captured globally by 2030, and this is rising to 7.6 gigaton in um, 2050. Great. And, and you mentioned um, capturing CO2 from air. That is, DAC, that's uh, the direct air carbon capture. Can you 
uh, perhaps explain to us what the difference is between direct air carbon capture and um, and traditional CCS? Yeah, so direct air capture or DAC technology extracts CO2 directly from the atmosphere. So they do not capture emissions from concentrated sources, so uh, industrial power plants, but from the air. The CO2 which is captured can be stored in um, geological formation, thereby achieving carbon dioxide removal. However, it can also be used, for instance, in the food processing or combined with hydrogen to produce synthetic fuels. Um, and in the transition to nuclear emissions, the CO2 used to produce, for instance, synthetic fuel would increasingly need to be captured from sources like the um, air in order to avoid um, delayed emissions from fossil-based CO2 when these fuels are combusted. And roughly how many direct air capture projects are out there and what's the, how much CO2 is captured through those projects? Right now, there are 18 uh, direct air capture facilities that are um, operational in Europe and North America, so the United States and Canada. All of these plants are small scale and the large majority of them capture CO2 for utilization, for instance, for drinks carbonation. Um, with only a couple of plants um, storing CO2 underground uh, for CO2 removal. Um, there are only a few commercial agreements uh, in place to sell or to store the capture CO2, while the remaining plants are operated mostly for testing and demonstration purposes. So we are talking about um, an emerging market and new technology, which has uh, definitely potential. Uh, but it's important to understand the scale of the applications we are talking about. Uh, said that, the first large-scale direct air capture plant with a um, capture capacity up to 1 million tonne of CO2 per year is in advanced development in the United States and is expected to come online in the mid-2020s. And there are plans for a total of 10 uh, DAC facilities uh, around the world. If all these um, planned projects were to go ahead, duck deployment would uh, be uh, would reach around 3 million tonne of CO2 by 2030, which is much more than what we have uh, today, but less than 5% of what is needed in the net zero uh, scenario. And governments alongside industry have recognized the role of DAC, would you say? How has that changed over time? The role of um, DAC in reaching net zero emissions has been recognized by the government and also by industry, uh, which are in fact getting behind data capture. Private and philanthropic investment is also growing. There are a number of companies, private companies that are investing in, in DAC companies, including Microsoft or United Airlines. DAC is also uh, one of the four technologies that the Breakthrough Energy Catalyst is targeting and is also an eligible technology for the Carbon Removal X Prize. And what does CO2 capture capacity look like when it comes to DAC, just as a standalone technology, but also comparing it to its more traditional point source CCS counterpart? So um, at the International Energy Agency, we consider uh, DAC as part of the carbon capture utilization and storage portfolio. So this, I guess, doesn't help in differentiating that. 
traditional carbon capture utilization and storage application aimed at capturing CO2 from uh, concentrated sources, so from industrial and power plants. Therefore, it means they are able to mitigate emissions from these plants, but they are not able to remove CO2 from the atmosphere unless the fuel which is used in the plant is a bio-based uh, fuel. Data capture applications are uh, right now much smaller compared to traditional CCUS applications. And uh, we are talking about an emerging technology which has potential for deployment, potential for cost reduction. But right now, DAC is much more expensive than traditional CCUS. And this is because the CO2 in the air, although the concentration is increasing over time, the CO2 in the air is much less concentrated than the CO2 you would find in fuel gas from an industrial power source. So it's more difficult to, to separate CO2 in the air, and therefore it's more um, expensive. So the CO2 is dilute then? And it's, yeah. yeah, okay. Exactly, so the CO2 in the air is much more dilute than in uh, exhaust gas from a power plant, therefore it's more difficult to find this molecule mm. in, in, the, in, the, in the air, therefore it's more expensive. The applications, the duct plants that are operating right now are quite small, there are plants to uh, increase capture capacity over time, but at, at right now, like the two, the two type of applications are not comparable from a size perspective. What needs to be prioritized to ensure that interest around the technology continues and that buy-in grows? So for um, dietary capture, given the role this technology can play in reaching net zero emissions, there are certain priorities that we have identified. And uh, these priority inc priorities include demonstration of data capture at scale in order to reduce cost and also um, reduce uncertainties. It's important to invest in innovation, in, especially for making renewable-based heat available. So right now, DAC can be based basically um, theoretically anywhere. But in practice, where these plants will be located will depend on a number of factors, including the source of energy. And if the source of energy is renewable-based, then the carbon removal potential will be, of direct capture will be even higher. And this, of course, applies also to traditional CCUS, where uh, there is a lot of R&D related to um, developing new and less energy-intensive uh, solvent. It's also important to identify and, and develop CO2 storage sites. This applies, of course, to carbon capitalization and storage and also to uh, DAC. DAC is able to provide the carbon removal service only if the CO2, which is captured, is stored underground. From a global perspective, for data capture, it's important to develop internationally agreed uh, approaches to certification and accounting, which are currently lacking. While from a regional perspective, it's important to assess the role of DAC, but also other carbon dioxide removal option in net zero uh, strategies in order to identify the priority. You mentioned, um, you know, regional and, and, and global policy needs. Is there a specific region or, or country that, that you see that's making notable efforts when it comes to, to scaling up CCS? So historically, most of the operating CCS plants have been based uh, in the United States. 
However, over time, the geographic distribution of the project is diversifying, uh, with project being now, projects being now developed in over 30 countries, including Southeast Asia, so for instance, in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, um, and China. Um, and in Europe, decarbonization goals and uh, policy support has stimulated CCS development, particularly in the form of industrial clusters uh, connected to CO2 storage hubs around the North Sea and Norway, the UK, the Netherlands and Sweden. And also uh, another region is uh, the Middle East, where a number of projects are currently in development. For instance, Bahrain announced plans to deploy CCUS on an aluminium plant. And this would be the first application of CCUS on aluminium production. So when you hear about new developments around new CO2 storage sites, then, for example, in the North Sea that you just mentioned, will this raise interest and eventual action to those who haven't stepped into the CCS arena yet? Definitely. CO2 transport and storage infrastructure uh, underpins the widespread deployment of carbon capture. There are currently around 7,500 kilometers of CO2 pipeline. This is mostly in North America and it's a dedicated uh, geological CO2 storage operations with a combined capacity of 10 million tons of CO2 a year. Over time, transport and storage infrastructure will need to increase at least at the same rate as capture, um, capture capacity. Uh, otherwise, uh, CO2 transport and storage could become a bottleneck for CO2S uh, deployment. And this is what is currently demonstrated in the project pipeline, where there is a growing number of part chain projects um, that are going to be developed and there could be basically a gap between how much CO2 is going to be captured and how much can be uh, stored. Multi-user infrastructure uh, can support the deployment of CO2 capture, especially for small emitters, and also can support the, the diversification of CCUS business model and, and transport mode. So in Europe, for sure, one example is the Northern Light project, which is part of the uh, long ship project where the intention is to start uh, storing uh, CO2, which is captured from two industrial sources, but the project has positioned itself as a transport and storage service provider, and therefore plans to offer its services to other sources uh, in the future. It's interesting what you said about the bottleneck. So essentially, there might be a risk of you know, we're developing those CO2 storage sites and that's always um, useful. But if it's not aligned with the actual pipeline infrastructure or getting that CO2 from A to B, there's going to be a missing link. Um, and that would be a hindrance to to actually getting um, projects scaled up. Is that correct? I'm yes. And, and also like the um, scale is different. So it takes two, three to five years to uh, construct and operate a capture facility, but it takes more than 10 years to develop a storage facility, depending on how much information you have on the uh, storage sites. So this is why um, CO2 transport and storage should be developed. It's almost like sooner than you know the CO2 capture facility and this is what's happening uh, with the Northern Lights projects in in Norway. Will CCS become uh, commercially viable enough in the in the next coming years that by 2050 
we'll we'll have the projects that we need. We have seen a definitely a growing momentum for carbon capture utilization and storage application and a lot of support with the public sector leading the way with policy measures that fund CCUS. This is uh, a very positive sign, but both governments and private sector should consider a number of strategies that can help reaching the target of the NZD, uh, so the net zero emissions by 2050 scenario, including the implementation of a broad portfolio of policy measures to stimulate investment, including, for instance, uh, capital grants, market-based framework, low-carbon products, incentives, public procurement. Government should also look into encourage the build-out of transport and storage infrastructure. As we mentioned before, they uh, need to be scaled prior to or at the very least alongside CO2 capture projects. New business model can support the deployment of CCUS, so shifting from building standalone food chains, CCUS projects with integrated transport and storage infrastructure to developing multi-user infrastructure, exploiting new and existing options for CO2 use, for instance, to provide a revenue stream to CCUS facilities. Also developing an as-a-service business model for CO2 capture, transport and storage, where each part of the chain is offered a third-party uh, operated services. It's also important to boost innovation to reduce cost and widen the CCS portfolio. Um, so R&D investment can ensure this application can become commercially deployed in key sectors such as heavy industries and CO2 use for synthetic fuel production and carbon removal. So basically, our overall assessment is that it's possible it's challenging, but it's possible to reach the goals of the net zero emissions by 2050 target. But there are a number of, um, of strategies and policies that have to be uh, put in place in order to, to reach the target. How essential would you say is collaboration and sharing learnings across different projects? International knowledge sharing and cooperation is uh, essential, actually. Uh, because it can drive uh, faster deployment and accelerate cost reduction, um, for instance, reducing the duplication of research efforts. And initiatives and international organizations such as DIA or Mission Innovation or the Clean Energy Ministerial CCS initiative can provide uh, important pl- platforms for knowledge sharing and also for collaboration and also international finance entities such as the World Bank or the European Bank for Reconstruction Development, the Asian Bank, the Asian Development Bank can uh, support investment in uh, um, CCUS facilities. And um, international cooperation can also support the development and harmonization of, for instance, LCA, so life cycle assessment methodologies for duct technologies, which are currently um, not available. Okay, Dr. Budinis, thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you very much. For more details about this episode and podcast, visit globalccsinstitute.com and head to our multimedia library.